down into the Minnesota zone. J.T. Miller goes after it around the boards, and Nico Sturm out there to start. Can't clear. Scores! Chris Tannen from the point has a series winner for Vancouver. Welcome into the Canucks and Pucks podcast once again. And uh, this is on a day after the Canucks finally are making the Stanley Cup playoffs after four seasons of futility. It is a great time to be a Canucks fan, and I welcome back in my co-hosts, Aiden and Dan. How are you guys hello, doing hello. this morning? I'm doing great. I, I'm feeling hyped up after that win, even though it's a, a day later. We're still doing good and can't wait to see who we play next. I'm, act- I'm doing great. I'm actually glad we're doing this a, a day after because there's so much emotion in a lot of the uh, a lot of the other um, information that's been going around, and we've all had a day to really digest and look at things. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, it's gonna. And the thing is, the Canucks. I mean, I had a feeling they were gonna win Game Four. Maybe talked in the podcast before, um, and I mean, there was some touchy. It was kind of touch and go for a while in the game, but uh, we'll talk about it later on. And uh, but I, first thing I want to talk about is Quinn Hughes. Um, I mean, he's he just doesn't cease to amaze me. All the times he's been, he just keeps stepping up his game to different levels. I think he pretty much took over the game in uh, game four. It's because uh, he found his confidence. Honestly, it's those first few games he kind of looked like he was just going through the motions he's skating well but his decision making wasn't the best i think in that last game and maybe even game three as well he was making the better plays the three assists in game three i think he had as well i was pretty good and that gave him the confidence to make more bolt plays in game four and play like he was playing in uh, the ncaa again with the just the confidence and the ability and knowing he had the ability to skate around everybody yeah yeah, I think um, it, what's interesting is is because his hockey IQ is so high, and it is. I mean, and his skating ability. If he's not, if he's not the best skater in the NHL, he's the second best skater in the NHL. Like, legitimately, he is the like in terms of his edge work, what he can do on the ice, um, how he can shake off uh, defenders uh, or a forechecking as well. Like, he, he's just so good. There's there. I just don't, I don't know. I haven't seen anybody else since Paul Coffey skate as good as him, honestly. Um, but I also think because of his hockey IQ, he, he took the first couple games to kind of figure things out and figure out where players were and, and what can he do on the ice and, and how can he get better? Very cerebral. And it showed in game three and it, it definitely showed um, in, uh, in the game four clincher. Yeah. I mean, I, the way he skate, like you're saying about his skating, he he gets out of so much trouble. Like there was one play on the boards that they're all fighting on the boards, and all of a sudden he's gone with the puck, and everyone else is just left behind. I mean, I find that he his skating is just like his skating, his hockey IQ just puts him above so many other defensemen in the NHL. And it fits the new era of hockey so well. Like his style of play is exactly where the game is going. It's all about creating space, especially with the three-on-three overtime and all that kind of stuff. The new game is about creating space, creating opportunities, and finding that play. It's they're just you're seeing less shots, you're seeing less shots from the outside, more shots from the middle, and it's all about creating those opportunities. It's like they're all following the Sedin power play of the late 2000s, where they're just creating space for a minute 58, and then they take that shot right at the end and go for that high up, high chance scoring opportunity. And I think it doesn't hurt that he plays with um, a, a really solid defenseman in Tanev yeah. um, that, and, and Pedersen and Bull Horvat and Brandon Sutter, who's been, you know, we'll talk about how well he's played and even Jay Beagle. I mean, these centers come back to help out, which makes it easier for him to do what he does which is, you know, defend as best as he can for the size he is. But because of his skating and hockey IQ, he's able to take that puck, get it out of the zone, and catch um, the, the other team, uh, whoever it is, in this case the Wild. Um, but he's able to catch them in a transition 
and force them out of their comfort zone and the game that and style that they want to play. Yeah. And you look at Brandon Sutter's goal that uh, it was basically created by him. Uh, the way he came in the zone and kind of stopped up, created room, they just threw a puck on net and that's what created all the chaos. So, I mean, he's, he's, he just creates so much out there for a defenseman. Do you know what's really cool too is that, and this is the, I think this is the be- most beautiful thing about these types of players is you know their style. Pedersen, McDavid, Hughes, McCarr. Like, you know their style. And so you watch lots of video, and so how do you defend this? You can't defend it, <laughs> right? Like, you, you can't. You can't defend that because you, you, if you don't overcommit or you don't make the move, then he's going to go around you anyway. And that is the crazy thing about his skill set and what he brings to – uh, the Canucks and you can see it in the rest of the players. And I know we're going to talk about the Canucks defense and that, and you, but it, it just, you just see it go through the entire roster that as he, and you know, and I don't think PD had a great game there um, on game four, but as their confidence grows, the rest of the team's confidence grows with them. And you could see them playing a, a more, aggressive but smartly aggressive game yeah exactly it's just they're playing with so i like your smartly aggressive and they're playing with so much more skill and they're slowly just dismantling any team they play against because you're right they can't predict what they're going to do the defense of the other team side is because they can just beat you in so many different ways and once they found that after losing that game once they realize that they're smarter than the wild I'll say then they played well I agree the top players didn't play too too well uh in this latest game Pedersen with one point Besser with none uh JC Miller with an assist it it was really scoring by committee I can't believe when I'm looking at the box score that Tanev was leading the game in scoring but um it's just they they were playing their system well and they were playing their roles perfectly yeah um, to go off of Quinn Hughes, we'll start, talk about another young defenseman the Canucks have is Ole Ulevi, who made his NHL debut amongst uh, everything and kind of and quietly put six minutes, uh, but quietly had a really good uh, debut. What do you, do you think about his debut, Dan? Yeah, he he was. Um, I mean, I like I said, I've been very high on Ole Ulevi. Even when they drafted him, I was really happy with with that draft um, pick, not because. I didn't want Matthew Kachuk. I mean, I would have been happy with that. But, you know, you, you win with the defense. You you will never win in the NHL if you don't have a solid defense core. Ask the Edmonton Oilers right now. And ask them, you know, and, and legitimately, right? I mean, yeah. I mean there's, no, there's no doubt that Broberg and Bouchard will be in their lineup through heck or high water. They will be in their lineup next year because their defense just isn't good enough. By the same token, Ole Olavi steps in his first NHL game he, he had a reasonable AHL, as, as we all know, and his, his uh, coach um, talked a bit about it um, in, in some other interviews I've heard. But he steps in, in in game four, and there were three plays specifically where he did these nice little walk-arounds, really nice passes, uh, one across the seam specifically for a scoring chance. He had one really good shot on goal. Like, like, and it was, you know, it was only six minutes, but – you can tell this is if this guy started the season this way, what level would he be playing at going into these into these playoffs? And and I'm really happy with that because I think you know as good as Fattenberg has been for them and he has been good, Ole Olevi adds another reasonable dimension to the Canucks and how they'll play. And he's going to make mistakes. But I believe the Canucks are a better team with him in the lineup than without him in the lineup. That's the thing with Yolevi. He hasn't had the chance to develop because of all those injuries with his knee and all the other problems he's had uh, coming through the system, through the OHL and the AHL. It's just he hasn't been healthy. How many camps has he missed? How many opportunities has he missed to really prove himself and get um, that experience he needs at the top level? So you're right. Having a quiet game, at the highest level in a do-or-die situation of the play-ins, playoffs, uh, that's incredible. And I think it just speaks so highly about where he could go and where the next steps are for him. And hopefully he does develop into that skilled role. And we see um, 
some more offensive production from that defensive stability we saw last night. Yeah, and remember when they drafted him, he was projected to be an Olin-type player, that yeah. safe yeah. player and, and makes the safe plays. And, and he'll get a few goals and everything, but if he's can play that safe game and, and, and can move – and again, his moving the puck up the ice and his passing, like, like again, if, if anyone hasn't watched the game again, and you'll see he makes these nice little deeks that – the wild players as they overcommit and, and, and poke check, he just gets around them and it creates this opportunity, whether it's through a pass or a breakout that, mm -hmm. you know, other defensemen the Canucks have just won't do. Yeah. Well, our, our buddy at, uh, at Dave, Dave uh, Quadrelli over at Canuck Army did an article on all six minutes of his shifts. So you can head over there to actually walk, uh, read about it, but. He did it before I could. <laughs> well, what did what did you think, Matt? I mean, I, I was impressed with that. Just not noticing him. I mean, six minutes, and he did it quietly, like I said. And I find, like, there was one play I thought, I legitimately thought it was Quinn Hughes making the pass. And I, as I pointed out, I'm like, oh, there's Hughes again. And, and I'm like, my dad's like, hey, no, that's your levy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, that's pretty good for our debut and his his strength is his passing up the ice and he's going to make a really good addition to the Canucks defense as early oh, as next year yeah he will and and again it's not just him it's Rathbone and yes, and Rathbone potentially too. potentially Rafferty like this this okay. is really important that we appreciate this run because there is probably a good chance that a few of these players aren't going to be here next year and, you know, which is why Chris Tanev's goal was just so – I think people were just – it wasn't just that the Canucks won. It's that you were – and just like the players, and I'm sure you guys saw the celebration that the Canucks showed. Like, like these guys have struggled through so much the last six years. And, and, and you know, for Tanev to be the guy that scores that goal and, and such a clean – good goal too right yeah. I mean it was it wasn't like it was this you know a redirect or whatever it was a nice shot just inside the post and and it was just a good clean shot yeah and, and whoever had Tanev as the OT winner is lying so no actually no 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 they they admit uh, 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 Louis DeBrusque of CBC did did pick him to win it oh wow. on a point shot yeah yeah he legitimately did it was uh which was which was pretty good, and and Chris Cuthbert was like, oh, I can't believe you picked that. And he's like, I just had a feeling, you know. <laughs> it, it caught me off guard, right? Like you, you just don't know where the puck's gonna be. Get to that blue line, and he shoots it. Good shot, yeah. and goes straight in. Well, and in overtime, in overtime, it's anybody. It could, yeah. it honestly That's could true, be anybody yeah. that that gets that goal and. And you know, I and I and I'm glad it was 11 seconds, and just because, get it um, <laughs> well, not just get it over with. Like, I, I, you know, as overtimes progress, you know, teams can, you know, it can take a lucky bounce or whatever, and and you know, they're getting some valuable rest. And today, already, Travis Green in his press conference today said that Goddard's kind of healed up and he'll be available to them if they need him. Yeah. Right. So I think that's that's huge because. They're, they're, uh, no offense, they're going to need Gaudet. They are really going to need him because he brings speed and a skill set that complements, as we talked about, Jake Bertanen. And, yeah. you know, not, not saying that you shouldn't, that you should take Sutter or anyone out. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying you, you'll, you'll need him at some point, especially in the war of attrition that the playoffs are. Yeah. I mean, one thing I noticed, which kind of was interesting from the Wild perspective on going into overtime, they put their fourth line on the ice. Uh, against uh, the lotto line i don't know what uh, dean Everson was thinking on that but <laughs> well he had last change right and they had had some pretty good success with them that whole game like i guess said, that's true they were pretty yeah they were pretty invisible and but on that play um you know jt miller brock Bester drive down create the turnover gets back to the point um and petterson and miller go to the you know, go to the front of the net and both of them waved at uh, Tanev's pass. Like the, both of them had a chance to tip that thing. And, and, you know, thankfully it wasn't tipped. Yeah. <laughs> it may, have been, may not have gone in, but uh, yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, the top line didn't have a huge amount of success in that game, but I found the second line stepped up a lot. Horvat with three points. Pearson was uh, scored a goal and had an assist as well. Um, I mean, of all this, the people in talking about Horvat not, 
playing his best series. I think he he probably had his best game in game four. Definitely. That's what captains do. They show up when you need them. And he, I, I don't think anyone ever, well, you obviously have the occasional hater, but I don't think there was a loud crowd that criticized his appointment as captain. And there was an even quieter one now. I think he stepped into that role of captain perfectly, 50th season, all that pressure as well. Uh, the media attention, he's all over the Pepsi ads and that kind of stuff. He's been busy. He's been busy on the ice and off the ice and being in that second line role. And it's almost like a Trevor Linden depth, but leadership style. And I think that's what Bo Horvat does as well. And he can step up in those big games. He can get those points. He can play well offensively and defensively. He can either be the shutdown guy. And as we saw last night, you can produce offensively as well. I think he's been great. And same with Tanner Pearson. He's been one of the players of the series for me after that first game where he was relatively invisible. He's been showing up really well and really strongly and playing well every single game. Yep. <laughs> what, what else is there to say? Honestly, what else is there to say? You, you nailed it. Horvat, um, you know, that I mean, half the reason they traded Corey Schneider to draft him was his character. And we, again, the last mm-hmm. podcast – we talked about the character of these players. Horvat, again, is, uh, you know, recently a new father and, you know, he's away from his family, a newborn. And, um, you know, he's, he, he's found a way to up his game. Uh, what I liked about that line, too, is, to be honest, I felt Louis really struggled the last game. I felt mm-hmm. in game four, Louis did not play his best game. I think he struggled a lot. But, as you said, Aiden, uh, here comes Tanner Pearson. And yeah. Tanner Pearson well. steps up and plays this good game gets the gets the first goal to get the Canucks going right on a nice shot and then um he uh you know draws three wild to him because now they're out of sorts right the Canucks were coming on in droves and and you've got line matches that aren't uh, because you're trying to game plan around the lotto line well now you're opening up the ice and giving that line um, opportunities and chances, right? So I'm really excited and hoping that to Foley's injury, and we don't know what it is. I, I'm really hoping that it isn't anything too long term, and I'm hope he gets back because I, I would. I'm really, you know, we wanted to see it. Everybody called for it, but but you know, it didn't happen. I really want to see to Foley with uh, Pearson and Horvat because I think that would just, I, I think that would just cement Vancouver's ability to have a reasonable run these playoffs. And that's what they're looking for, right? They're looking for that third forward on that line, and they're having a lot of trouble finding it. And I think if you put Foley there, I think that's the best chance you're going to have. And hopefully he does come back soon, obviously. There's a lot of speculation around the degree of his injury. But uh, hopefully he comes back in the next round there with a tiny bit of a break in between. Yeah, and- I, I, haven't, I haven't heard that, Aiden. What are, you, what are you hearing then about the degree of his injury? Um, just... Uh, the CBC article. Oh gosh, I don't want to misquote anything here, but uh, no, uh, you can you can summarize it. That's fine. We know it's just you're summarizing it. It's fine. Yeah, it's just uh, I. It's really the consensus I know is the speculation of how long he misses, and that's just there's no for sure timeline on when he'll come back, and I hope it's soon. I really hope it's soon. So I'll say. <laughs> Let's move on. Like they're talking about injuries. Um, Jay Beagle got that shot in his hand, and there were rumors out of Edmonton that his hands messed up. I hope that's not the case. That he's not going to be available for the next round. I don't know if anyone's hearing anything different. Maybe that's why Goddard's able to play now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, seriously, that's, that's probably true. what that's it is true. then. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's probably what it is then. I mean, I don't. I I you know I I agree with a lot of the. Um, uh, the media here, I don't like this unfit to play thing. I understand the players need privacy and everything because of COVID. And that's, you know, especially with the Austin Matthews, Steve Simmons thing, but that's, um, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's okay to, to kind of say, yeah, like a guy hurt his hand, a guy, like we know you know, he's got it. Yeah. He's got it. He's got mm-hmm. a fractured foot. Right. Um, it just, I, I don't know. It's not like you're going to sit there and go, Oh, and criticize a player for having those things. Right. It's taking that upper body injury or lower body injury and taking it to a whole new level. It's just one of those things. I understand the need for privacy, especially uh, with COVID and the fact that they're all coming back from very little ice time experience. So injuries are going to be rampant that you just don't want to 
exposed to players like that, especially after they left their family to go to this bubble, whether it be Edmonton or Toronto and play their hearts out, whether it be for a week or whether it be for uh, going into the fall here. I understand the need for privacy, but from a media perspective, it is frustrating. But I, well, even, I even from a, even from a fan's perspective, I mean, we're, yeah. we're all fans and we, we pay money. We, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, I bought the NHL, um, uh, you know, subscription so I can watch all the hockey games and stuff. Um, you know, it's, 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 I under, there's, there's a certain amount of privacy, but if it's an injury, just, just even just call it an injury, like an actual injury, instead of saying unfit to play either he's unfit, either it's an injury or, or they're a scratch because you can even just say they're a scratch, right? You don't have to sit there and, and, and if you don't want to disclose an injury, just say, yeah, no, they're a scratch. Right. And yeah. uh, I, I just don't like, I just don't like this because yeah, it, anyways, it just, it's one of the things that bothers it me. It needs some work, right? It's, it's very last minute put together with a, a sign of the times. And it's one thing I'm curious to see if they experiment it with, experiment with a similar policy going further, uh, especially with serious injuries, especially concussions and post-concussion syndrome. Because yep. let's just, exposing that puts, as we've seen with Berland, puts a pressure on the player. And there's so much ambiguity around concussions and yeah, diversity and the scope and the range of how long they can affect the player. And it's yeah. just one of those things that's really problematic reporting that when it's such a wide spectrum of injury, I guess. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, going back to Beagle, if he isn't able to go in the next series, how much of an impact he would have not being in the series or how much penalty killing he does, how much face-off work he de- does. Um, I mean, Goddard can definitely not replace that. Uh, what do you think his impact would be if he's not able to go? I think it's one of those, you take out his contract and he's a good player for his role. But you have to take out the contract first, which is a bit problematic. <laughs> but um, I think as a depth player, especially on the fourth line, you can't complain with the Stanley Cup champion pedigree and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's one of those – it's curious to see how the lineup rotates. Because if the lineup rotates and they find the defensive scheme that works, that works at keeping the stars of the Blues to the outside, then it's just one of those things that uh, I think they can transition well from. I don't think he's an absolute game breaker. At the same time, he's going to be a lost. And he's not an Adam Goddard. Adam Goddard not a Jay Beagle, I should say. They bring completely different skill sets. But at the same time, you need someone to fill that defensive role. Whether that be moving someone to the middle and bringing Erickson in. Or uh, like he's played on a penalty kill occasionally throughout the year. That kind of stuff. It's just one of those things that you need to figure out how to rotate the lineup to get the best possible scheme to fill that hole. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would uh, uh, go along with that. The only thing I would add is that, you know, Jay Beagle, the one thing that he adds more than anything on the fourth line um, is, is not the fourth line, but his penalty killing, as we saw there, right? The blocks and, and what he can do on that penalty kill. We've seen the fourth line, even, even, even in this series, it, they still struggled a little. You know, they still, that line still struggled a little bit to, to, and got hemmed in a lot of times. Um, if Sutter is playing as good as he is right now, moving him to the fourth line may be a better option. And if Beagle mm-hmm. is hurt with Gaudet, you have the uh, you have the ability to rest Beagle unless you really need him, and and not fall back on your failsafe. And you know that you could put Gaudet in. And again, with Jake Vertan and, and I don't know if Russell's the right the right. I keep McEwen with him. But now you've got a line that has speed and size and a little bit of skill that, that potentially can score. And then you still have your, your, your fourth line that Brandon Sutter can play an almost identical game to Beagle. And so, you know, and he's actually playing a little bit better right now, Brandon is. So, you know, it's, it, it affords a luxury to allow you to sit Beagle if you have to and not force you because it's not a game seven of a series. Right. No, I mean, right. You know, if it, if it was a game seven of a series, Beagle's in regardless, regardless of how the injury is right now, you got a couple games to let him heal up and see where things are at. Right. And I think that that's a really good option. And, and it's a luxury that Travis green, it's a, it's a luxury everybody wants to have going into the playoffs. 
Yeah, the thing is the way Sutter plays, like that's a good segue to, to Brandon Sutter of how like I've been super impressed by how, how he's played in this series. I think mostly because of that four months that was off, he got stronger, he got healthy, and you're seeing the the result of that. You're seeing him be that type of guy that you've been that we've been actually waiting for since he was acquired. Well, for four years? Yeah. <laughs> Well, like for four, well, the four months that we were there was he was off. Yeah, no, no, but I mean, he's stronger. the player. He's the player we wanted for four. We years. We wanted for four years. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, like That's right. one, one, and listen, like the, you know, there's going to be changes. There's probably a good chance Sutter's not here. You got to remember that that Hoglander's coming in. He's going to take someone's spot. That's true. He, they're they're looking to resign to Foley. Furlan's going to be gone, so now they've got some cap space. Tanev's not going to be re-signed. So it's really nice to see these guys having this success because I think Canucks fans have wanted them to. And it's like Sat Shaw said, like, like these are glue guys that you bring in for the playoffs to help you grow and build. And the new model of sustained success in the NHL is you have five or six core guys that you build the rest of your team around. And that's the mistake Jim Benning made was Jim Benning went out and got the glue before he had the core guys. And he did a great job drafting and it's worked out for him. But right now, Brandon Sutter has put himself in a really good position. His, his stock will go way up. The Canucks will probably be able to offload that. And I couldn't be happier for this guy because again, like I'm, I'm one of his critics, like, and I am, he's, he has played horrible with the Canucks, not just injuries. He's looked so slow. We've seen him on back checks look absolutely deplorable. I mean, no effort or either he stayed out on the ice too long or he just can't keep up. And maybe it's the Minnesota wild that have made him look good. Let's, let's keep that in mind that the wild are not the fastest hockey team in the NHL. They play a very structured systematic game that allows a guy like Sutter to, to play a, a, a game like this, right? Um, which is great for Vancouver because they're going into a series with two teams that kind of play that kind of structured game now as well, whether it's Dallas or St. Louis. But, you know, I'm, I'm happy for Sutter. I want them to have success. I want them to have as much success as possible. Um, and, uh, you know, it couldn't happen to, to you know, these hardworking guys have endured so much. It couldn't happen to better players. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, I mean, moving into, like, I don't want to harp on this too much because of how Markstrom's played all year, but he did not have a good uh, game, game four. I mean, the Canucks, it was good that the Canucks actually scored some goals and stepped up in that way because the way he's stepped up all season, uh, the team did, needed to do that at least once. Yeah, it was one of those things, right? He's either so hot or he's so cold, and in the playoffs it seems like he's been cold rather than hot a lot of the times. And that's, that's worrying, especially if you're, we're talking about sustained success, but what about to sustained success in the short term with uh, getting through this next round against the potential former Stanley cup champion. But um, it's one of those, he needs to be consistent. He doesn't have to make those amazing saves game in game out, but he needs to be consistent. Not the bobble shots, not the shots from the outside, especially those, weird corner shots that seem to always go in this but um it's one of those he just needs to be consistent he needs to make the saves expected of him and if he does that i think the canucks will uh, have a really good shot against two good teams go far but um if he doesn't then i think it's going to be an uphill battle and you can't go down three times in a game like they did in that series you can't do that against these teams they're championship quality teams and you can't just do that yeah I look at I look at Marsham and and in my opinion he went two for two in the playoffs he had two really solid games the two games they the first two games they won and he had I feel two bad games the first game they lost and as you guys mentioned this one and and I think the real challenge with this one is he was never comfortable and he just never got set and and that's like teams can't game plan around that. It's not like team teams can sit there and go, Oh, let's get in his crease and, and let's bump him off his game. Like that's not who, how Markstrom works. He says he, he basically is his own worst enemy. Yeah. If he's on, he's on like, like just that's it. If he's on, he's on. And 
you're not going to beat him. And what we saw in the three nothing win, like he looked honestly like he was absolutely unbeatable in game three. And it was like I like I picked the Canucks to win game four or five too. Well, that's actually what the score should have been, and maybe even yeah. you know four four yeah. five one, right? And but because he had those short side problems and and you know couldn't you know just was a little off his game because of who he is. He, uh, you know, game was a lot closer than, than it should have been because Vancouver really took over um, in the second and, and specifically the third period. It was uh, the Wild were, were pretty much just, uh, you know, doing their best to, to hang on. And, yeah, Markstrom, Markstrom sure let them back back in the game. Well, it's one of those things that we, we got to give them some credit because goalies, um, goalies have been struggling throughout these first series. Flurry got pulled for Leonard. Uh, Murray for Jari, all that kind of stuff. And those were impending controversies anyway. But look at it. Hellebuck's out as well. Goalies have struggled from the break. It seems that goalies have had the hardest time transitioning back into play. I don't know if you could put put Hellebuck in there, though. I mean, Winnipeg was so injured and and, – you know, it, it just, he did everything he could to, to will them, but I agree with the other teams and, and um, you know, again, these are like almost like the first few games of a regular season and even the officiating, you know, the officials are trying to, to kind of figure some things out. I think you're going to see a few less whistles. Um, and uh, I don't think Tyler, I think Tyler Myers will be able to play that solid game again. I don't think he's going to get as called as much in the first and second, second rounds. Yeah. I, I I'm still slightly critical of, but you're right. It's that team in front of him has been so depleted. And with the Shifley and Line thing too, they didn't get any offensive help. So that was a, a big deal. But it's, yeah, it's that in the officiating. I completely agree with you on the officiating. There just seems to be in those two areas, goaltending and officiating, there's no level of consistency. And I think you need consistency. And I'm sure they'll have meetings after the round to discuss that and how to move forward. Yeah, and again, if Markstrom can just be the player that he that can get back to that consistent um, tending that we're all used to and we know, then you know I think I think Vancouver has a really good shot no matter who they're playing. Yeah, I I mean I agree, and the thing is is the Canucks played such a good team game. I think from game two on, um, I think the you know there were some guys that kind of are up and down, but I I feel like the whole team played really well from from two and two on to the last game there. Yeah. But it's one of those things that they're just got going. It was, and that's the thing about having qualifiers after one exhibition game. It's a team that gets going first will win. And I think that's what we've seen throughout. Uh, maybe the exception being the Toronto Columbus series, which seems <laughs> to be a bit uh, elastic-y for lack of a, for lack of a so basically, basically, you're saying who, whoever goes up three nothing in in tonight's game is going to end up losing the game and the series. That's what you're saying. Oh, just maybe, just maybe. I don't know. Is there a precedent for that? <laughs> well, yeah, the Leafs were up three nothing and ended up losing in overtime two, I, I, two, I, two, I, two yeah. games ago. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So I mean, this series is now over. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff to. I mean, we could talk hours and hours on the stuff that kind of happens during the series. So. I thought it'd be fun to kind of do some awards for the, for the series. Uh, we'll start with an unsung hero of the series. We'll start with you, Aiden. This is an unsung, unsung hero for you. Hero. The issue is all the unsung heroes have been talked about quite a lot. We've been talking <laughs> about them a lot too. But I'm going to go with Brandon Sutter. I'm going to go with I, – I think Dan hit the nail on the head earlier. That series really benefited his style of play. And I think that's how he performed so well in the series and how he was able to help take some of the burden off the 649 line, which was a bit streaky, or the second line, who's had its moments, but played predominantly pretty well, or at least two of their forwards have played well. But yeah, I'm going to go with Brandon Sutter, because although we talked about him a lot, I don't think anyone expected it going into this series. And I think that's the best surprise of all. Honestly, and how about you, Dan? Yeah, yeah, Aiden, Aiden nailed it. it. It has to be Brandon Sutter. It's just that he he took his game to a level that we haven't seen since he scored twenty goals for the um, yes. for the <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins. Like legitimately, like it, it was absolutely crazy to see the the drive and that. And and, and again, it, 
couldn't happen to nicer guy. Like you want these guys to succeed. It's not like you have this hate on for these players. Right. Um, and so it's just really nice to see him carry his line. In, in all yeah. honesty, he, he literally carried his line. And in some cases, he carried the, 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 the Canucks. He put, he put – and, and that's what you're supposed to do, right? And so, yeah, uh, to me, it's uh, unsung is Brandon, Brandon Sutter 100%. For sure. I found that he played a lot better when he got put back to center uh, than mm-hmm. being on the wing. Well, I think it was a, not just more natural for him, but I believe that he 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 knew that he had a, a, a more of a responsibility. And again, when you're playing with um, Jay Beagle and uh, at the time, um, you know Tyler Mott, Mott can skate, Beagle can skate, but they're not fast, and you can get caught out of position a lot of times and get hemmed in your zone. Um, Sutter just just seemed to to feel really good. Um, and, and it probably, in all honesty, it probably helped that Jake Vertanen got into the lineup because Jake could move the puck up the ice. Yeah. And you could see that a lot of times when Jake got the puck out and moved it up the ice, it stretched the wild out greatly. Yeah. And my unsung hero is uh, probably everyone can probably pick who I think. Uh, I, I like Brandon Sutter's Wattel, but I'm going with Tyler Mott um, throughout like his penalty killing, like on the fourth line, I mean, the fourth line struggle, like we said earlier, but I mean, for penalty killing, Tyler Mott was a huge part of the reason why the Canucks won this series. And I mean, he may not be unsung now because the fact that a lot of people have been singing his praises on Twitter and uh, through, you know, through the media, but I still think he's probably the most underrated uh, bottom six player that in the NHL. Um, for sure. I, I have been a avid critic of Mott, but I think that wing play, especially in this series, that skating up the side of the ice and outspeeding the wild, outspeeding, oh, that's horrible. <laughs> we'll, we'll go with it. No, no, we could. <laughs> this is English. This is English. You can make up words as you go at this point. So outspeed oh, is it's, now it's the Now I'm just going to make up all the words I want to make up. So, <laughs> but yeah, speeding up the side of the ice there and just it's that it's Quinn's use. It's the ability to move the puck and move the puck, whether it be through a critical pass or whether it be through skating. And I think that's what Tyler Mott does really well when he's engaged. And I think he was engaged during the series and everyone saw that video where uh, he opened up about his struggles. And I thought yeah. that was very brave of a hockey player to do in the culture that the game is in right now. But it's one of those things that you got to root for this guy. And it was nice to see him play well, in, yeah. uh, even with the shuffling of the bottom six. Yeah, and again, with Mott, um, just to give some uh, weight to your, to your pick, Matt. I mean, again, how many times did we hear blocked by Mott? Shot yeah, blocked. Yeah. Shot blocked by Mott. Block, block shot. Another block shot. Like, game three, um, that, was the, that was the MO of the Vancouver Canucks, blocking shots. Yeah. It's crazy because all of these glue players that we were talking about that didn't make an impact during the regular season, their playoff, I don't want to say instinct, but their playoff style is really coming through. And you're seeing all these players that uh, a Canucks fans have bashed for seasons really show up. And I think Tyler Mott is one of them as well. Well, maybe that, you know, maybe that's something that, you know, quickly, I mean, team was constructed by Jim Benny to be a playoff team (laughs) and and in the regular season it might not fly and it it stung them it's really stung them and and it has and and this year they were given a chance to kind of show that and you know we see that result so whether it's good or bad at least for for four games so far um, we're seeing the team play the way that it was constructed to play. Where have we heard that before? Play the team the way it's constructed to be played, <laughs> and it will be successful. And and that's what I think we're seeing, and Tyler Mott's a big part of that. Are you saying yeah. it's not rocket science, Dan? It's not <laughs> rocket science. <laughs> okay. Yeah, all right. So next, next we'll go for Ensong Sung here to MVP. Who is the MVP for the series? Uh, Dan, you go first on this one. I went first. On yeah, the- I, I, I'll tell you who I 
think is the MVP, and you guys may not agree with me, and there's there's a lot, but I am going to say Pedersen. And the reason I'm going to say Pedersen is I know he's only got a couple points, but Pedersen set the tone um, with his play through games one through three. Yeah, he struggled in game four, but the way that he set that tone and to see him battle, again, he gets crunched. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he gets crunched by, uh, by Ratman there, Hartman. And you know, they, you know, Miller finally, and you can see Miller's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going for this. Like, you can't do this to my player. And then what happens when, when Fiala bumps, uh, uh, Markstrom Sutter goes nuts and just jumps all over him. Like, like that's because Pedersen is playing, played such a physical game that it, you know, as much as Quinn Hughes got all the points and such, it's because of Patterson's play that has allowed um, the the rest of the team to to up that level. I really believe that, and that's why he's my MVP. For sure. Going from that, um, if you don't mind, Matt, I'll go straight into my MVP there. <laughs> but my MVP is uh, Quinn Hughes because he's allowed – like Patterson, I'll just steal your word from word, word for word there. He's allowed – the team to play their game and he's allowed players to find space and created opportunities with all those assists this series. I think we're just talking about raw production and that goal too. I, I've never saw Hughes as a goal scorer personally. I just don't think his shot from the point is uh, lethal enough, at least at this level. He, I think he needs a Pedersen filling out season where he becomes the, uh, the Hulk like Pedersen <laughs> came to any bounds and have that rifle of a shot. But I think Hughes' ability to create space for the Pedersons and for the Millers and for everyone else who played well, and not just for the, that top line. He created space for the bottom six too. And you saw that with the numbers they produced. And you saw that with Erickson's game. And you saw that with just the amount of space the Canucks had on the ice when Quinn Hughes was out there. And just for those un- untangibles or intangibles excuse me my english is on fire today but uh <laughs> intangibles, i think that continues becomes my mvp yeah i i uh i'm gonna echo the quinn hughes pick i mean i i've been impressed with him since he was drafted and since he's played with the canucks and i find that he can take he can be a guy that can like he did in game four take over a game it's like he never left the ice I mean, I was saying, I was discussing during the game. It's like, it's like, you know, we're watching, we watched the Chicago Blackhawks way back. They're saying, well, Duncan Keith, well, he just never leaves the ice. He always drives until he never leaves the ice. Does he even actually take a shift off? And that's what it seemed like Quinn Hughes was throughout that game. It's like, well, he was on the ice again. And he played almost 30 minutes. And I yeah. mean, he's, he's just insane. And he doesn't think about it. He's only 20. And he's just going to get better. And you're going to imagine how much better he can be. So, yeah, he's definitely MVP for me. That's the thing, right? He just has so much energy. And that's the best part about watching him play as a young player. He's got that energy because you can play 30 minutes a game and not look too tired, especially as game matures, too. We're heading into that sweet spot where he's getting that NHL experience, but he still has that crazy energy. And that makes him such an exciting rookie to watch. And whether whether or not he or McCarr deserves to – with McCall there we can talk about that at length that could be a whole movie uh, but <laughs> I think it's, it's such an exciting player to watch and that's just to, yeah and just to give you guys weight like to your arguments one of the things I think Quinn Hughes did this series too as he got better was the defense and we talked about this the defense got better and a lot of them we mm-hmm. saw with Tanev you you see we you know we you know even Myers and they, they, they emulate a bit of his game, like the mentality of, okay, this is how we have the most success. Like our team is the most successful when Quinn Hughes is driving up the net yeah. or driving up the ice and creating plays. So you know what? We can do the same thing. Maybe we can't skate and pivot and those things, but we can drive up. And you've seen the team now make that transition. They fully bought into the X's and O's of, of Travis Green's game. And you could really see that that at the, that, that point, the Wild had no answers for Quinn Hughes. They literally had none because, you, again, you can't game plan for it. And it just, you know, permeated through the rest of the lineup. So, you know, I think that that's not a bad choice and probably it's the consensus choice. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, going from, go from MVP to most improved. 
who was the most improved from the first game on out of the four defensemen, whatever, who improved the most from one to four? Who you want to go with first here? I'm still a bit stuck. I'm still honestly debating a couple of names in my head because it was one of those, or it's really hard to pick a most improved because I think the entire team was a bit streaky, honestly. And I think that comes with using unexperience or inexperience. Oh gosh. Yeah. The English. Uh, but um, yeah, I'm going to, go if there. I can step yeah. in Aiden, yeah, I, I'm going to say Bill Horvat. And the yes. reason I'm going to say Bill Horvat is, he looked really lost in game one, trying to figure things out. He still looked a little lost in game two. Again, his goal was to be like Ryan Kessler, right? You, you know, he's got this potential to be offensive, but your job is to shut down the top line and you're going to be playing those hard minutes. You know, Louis comes in and really compliments that. And, you know, and then, but, you know, games three and four, Pearson and Horvat really started helping not only offensively, but they started driving play and again, forced the wild into matches and line matching. They probably didn't want to do because they weren't expecting that. And I believe, and, and they got, not only did they get better, but Horvat really helped to not only drive that line, but he was such a leader on the ice. It, it, it was uh, really, uh, to me, that was the most improved player. A good one. Matt, yeah. you want to go with yours? I'm still struggling here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going with Tanner Pearson. Uh, okay. I thought he was horrible in game one. I uh, took a couple penalties, didn't really notice him at all. And it's like, well, this guy's supposed to be a playoff vet. He's supposed to be a guy that's been here before. And I, I was really disappointed. And then game two, he scored the first goal uh, with a nice shot. And then since then, he's been probably one of the better players uh, on that line. So I'm going with Tanner Pearson. I'll go with a bit of a dark horse here because I, I just got an idea. And kind of off uh, Dan's here, a bit, Dan's MVP, but I'm going to go with Elias Pettersson. I think the first game especially, he's just not able to play his game and he didn't know how to uh, adapt to playoff hockey, or at least I don't think he adapted well. He, he got that butt check going on in game one, but I think <laughs> that was the only thing that really was effective. And going into the series, especially the middle games there, he was a bit able to create space again. He was able to find his line mates. He was able to use that intelligence that I think sets him apart from every offensive player in the league. So it's one of those like Luka, Luka Doncic things, right? Where he's the MVP and the most improved player as well. <laughs> but I think Elias Pettersson was the most improved player because he found out very quickly how to play playoff hockey. And I think he did it excellently. I think with Pettersson is that putting Besser back on his line, and it's very, everyone doesn't sound, I mean, there's a lot of people that see it, but I think Besser makes Pettersson a lot better a lot better of a player on that line because of the space he he command he demands because of the fact that he's you know you can't let him go he's a good he's a great goal scorer and he's doing so much more on the ice I mean Toffoli's a good player not saying that he's not a good fit but I think he's a better Besser's a way better fit on that line and he makes Patterson a better player as well. It's not rocket science. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. It's so great. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, the thing is, is you got to look at. I mean, Pedersen's a great player in himself, but the guys around him also make a difference in how effective they are. And you look around the league, there are certain players that play better with other players, and they don't look the same unless they're with them. And I think that's the case with Pedersen and Besser. And I, I just think that Green would be dumb to split them up. That should be one of his duos. And, uh, I mean, Miller can play on other lines. But I think if you change lines, you don't break those two up. Well, and, and you know, just to give some credence to that, I know you're looking for a quote-unquote balance in your lineup and, and everything. And Toffoli's a 30-goal scorer for sure, right? Um, but as we've talked about, I mean, you know, the Oilers never broke up Gretzky and Curry unless there were injuries or something because they worked so well together. I mean, if you want to look at why potentially the Oilers – Oilers lost to Chicago as good as as Drysaddle and McDavid make two lines they're even better as a top line and you can probably play them 30 minutes in a game and you're probably going to win most of the games when you do that and that is where the Oilers have had most of their success conversely Vancouver's success comes from when Pedersen are together and they were with with Miller one of the top lines in the league and 
And because Miller or because Besser and Pedersen create so much space and play well together, it creates space for Miller, which allows him to play well, as we saw on his goal. So it's just everything falls into place that way. And again, coaches just always tend to outcoach themselves. Yeah. And, you know, they need to stop overthinking things and relying on, on what their brain is telling them and do what is, is just makes the most sense, is the most logical, if, if, if that, you know, makes any sort of a sense in, in itself. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. And um, the next series is going to be a different series. Um, you know, that's still up in the air, but who needs or what? I'd say we'll say who needs to be better in round one. Um, I mean, it's from the qualifiers to actually round one of the playoffs. Who needs to be better um, for, for the Canucks? One word. Yeah, Markstrom. Markstrom. Markstrom, yep. Markstrom, Markstrom. Yep. Markstrom. yep. <laughs> it's, just, it's one of those things that in game one, I criticized the Canucks for dropping too deep in their defensive zone. But um, honestly, after that, I was just really, I, I don't want to say dis disappointed, but kind of uh, a bit heartbroken that we didn't see the Markstrom that we saw during the season and during those key clutch moments where he really stole games for the Canucks, especially when their youth was a bit tricky. I just think if they're going to go far in the playoffs, it's going to be the goaltending. And the goaltending needs to be sharper than the other team. And whether that be Dallas or St. Louis, there's two very different situations there. But I think if we're going to win the next series, and let's just take it series by series, Jacob Markstrom cannot let goals in from the side of the ice. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I said, I love Markstrom too. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Like I said, he was two for two in this series, in my opinion. Um, yeah, they won the, the the last game, but really, I mean, it was it was bad. I think he didn't play great, led in the soft goal in game one. I think in games uh, two and three, Markstrom was great, especially game three. Shutout was a well deserved and earned shutout. There, he did make some good saves, mm -hmm. and every shot that came in, he swallowed up. There was nothing for the Wild to pounce on. Um, unlike Stalock, who was consistently letting out these massive rebounds that the Canucks kind of adjusted to, those are just bad goals. Like, literally, those are goals that I let in when I play in that at, 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 at ring hockey, you know, and I'm not a goalie. I'm not good. So, you know, it, you're 100% right. It's, it, it starts and ends with Markstrom. And if he can provide consistent goaltending for Vancouver, they have just as good a shot, not saying they'll win, but they'll have just as good a shot to beat either St. Louis or Yeah. I mean, let's move into that. Um, I mean, right now the game's being probably – yeah, it's being played right now. Um, the loser of the, of the Blues-Stars game today will play the Canucks. Who do you think is the better matchup, if there is a better matchup, uh, going into the first round? Um, honestly, it's one of those. They're two good teams. They're two teams I rate really well but the Dallas Stars is a better matchup the Blues just you don't want to go against that team right now you don't want to go up against the team who's had that recent playoff success especially with a team who I don't think is well whose core let's say is not experienced in the playoffs and I think the St. Louis Blues play a better grit and grind game than the Dallas Stars do. And they can set the tempo of the series. So I would rather play against the Dallas Stars, who could very well set the tempo of the series. But I think the Canucks have an opportunity, especially if they get out of the gates quickly, use their energy, use their youth, use that playmaking ability. I think the Canucks have a better chance against the Dallas Stars. Yeah, I'm going to disagree, Aiden, and, and the reason okay. I'm going to say this is is um, I the Canucks have played well against St. Louis uh, from an emotional standpoint, but the biggest reason is that the one thing Dallas has that St. Louis, I mean, they have to a degree, but not like, like um, uh, uh, Dallas is. Dallas's defense is pretty mobile, and I know Dallas seems like a tempting target because they've struggled. They have a history of struggling. They, you know, they have stars that have underperformed. But they have real star power, like legitimate star power that can take over a series and score goals when they need them. And unless Markstrom is like super, super on his game, Dallas can take advantage of those. Whereas St. Louis relies on a complete team game, much like the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. And their, their defense, they move the puck. And yeah, Petra Angelo is a great player. But honestly, they don't have Amir Heiskanen. 
right? They, they don't, they don't have that, that, you know, superstar defenseman that can take over series like the cracks have with Quinn Hughes. And, and I believe that that's why St. Louis is a better matchup for them. I believe they'll, they're, they feel better. And I also think that for Pedersen, St. Louis is a great matchup because Bennington's talked shit about him and continues to talk shit about him. Like Bennington's a lot like Staylock. He loves to talk crap about people and he's, he's kind of an arrogant guy. And, you know, I believe that the Canucks will come into that series far more motivated than they will against Dallas. And, and, and just that's, you know, as I look at it, I just believe that that's, the, that's why it's a better matchup for them. That's a big factor, honestly. If they come mm-hmm. in more motivated, and I completely agree, they have the reason to become more motivated playing the St. Louis Blues. Well, they should be motivated 100% the entire time, but it's the playoffs. <laughs> but humans are human, right? And yep. sometimes you'll, you'll go into a series off and maybe, uh, maybe they'll ride the high of being the wild as decisively as they did. Well, not decisively, but the three games straight. Maybe they'll ride that high too much and not come out of the gates quickly versus the Stars. And I think you're right. If they're going to come out of the gates quickly against one of those two teams, it's going to be the Blues. But I still think the fact that they have that Stanley Cup champion core is still relatively intact. And Bennington's been a bit streaky in the round robins. But um, the fact that they have that core intact. I, Washington, I I Washington had that core. Washington had the core last year, and they lost in 7-2. Uh, to Carolina like like you got to remember that you know and this is this is the fun thing about Vancouver this and this this is one thing Vancouver has an advantage over and I know that they have players that are 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 they do have some older players we've talked about it but for the most part most of Vancouver's players are in that 26 to 29 age with the exception of their top players which is Patterson Besser I think Horvat's what 26 himself right Um, and and so they've got some youth on their side with these guys. Whereas these teams that peaked last year, again, they're, they're in their 28, 29, 30. Right. And, and the other thing that, that we've seen is it's still, even with the rest, it's still a lot of hockey to go through. It's not like the blues, um, you know, uh, I know they had their rest, but boy, it, it's a lot of hockey to play and, you know, we saw it with Washington last year. They, you know, it's not like you you, you come in thinking we're going to win a second one or whatever. It, it can be a grind. It very rarely do teams repeat, which makes what Pittsburgh did um, really remarkable, honestly. That's a good point. Yeah, that's true. And I, I've, I've been kind of throwing up each one, and I, I'm kind of on the fence between. So if I had to pick, I, I would go with the Blues too. Um, yeah. I mean – Dallas just – it just seems like Canucks have never really played well against them. Uh, Jamie Benn and and uh, Sagan always seem to step up their game whenever the Canucks play them. And it, it just doesn't seem the Canucks ever play a good game against the Dallas Stars. So, I mean, I, and the Canucks have played really well against the Blues this year, match up really well. Um, I was hoping Tarasenko wasn't going to be back for – he's older though it, 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 won't, it won't be too too bad he's a little older it won't be too too bad but um that that's the other thing like you're right you look at the scores I mean we're talking like 6-1 and 5-1 drummings to the Dallas Stars they just seem to be able to put the puck in the net against Vancouver and I know the playoffs are a different beast but you know Dallas conversely you know who they've struggled against um conversely is they've struggled against Arizona because that's a bad matchup for them, right? So this is, this is I mean, this is half the reason that I want to see Vancouver play St. Louis is I don't expect them to win, but I think they'll be competitive and they have a chance to win. And yeah. I think we're going to see better, there'll be better first round games in that, in that setting. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just happy that the Canucks aren't, we're not having to watch that stupid lottery uh, with any investment. So. <laughs> oh, I am too. I'm glad you said that. I, you know, like, and listen, man, if there are any Benning bros or if there are any like law, you know, tankers or whatever you want to call it out there, like, look, man, you're, you're, it's, it's not that your opinion's wrong because it's not, there's merits to both. At some point, every team has to get out of the lottery. How many years do you tank? And then all of a sudden you yeah. just become like Edmonton was, you're, you just, you're always in the lottery now. And you always get getting these players. And how many of those players have turned out for them? How many are playing for them? Right? Yeah. And and it just, you know, you, you get to a point where all of a sudden now you're just like, like 
Buffalo said, like Ryan O'Reilly said about Buffalo, like losing is acceptable in Buffalo. And we saw it again. Like there's no reason, honestly, Buffalo should not have been playing in this play in qualifier with the talent that they have. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't have a loser mentality as an organization. And, you know, for all of the dollars that they spent, which is brutal, um, uh, this is the, the one I think that, that uh, you know, that's what these players have brought. They brought this mentality of wanting to win, which is something that, you know, it's very rare. You can't, you can't trade for that. And you, you know, that's character. And the things they brought, like that's what Benning was doing is bringing in guys that knew how to win. And you got, you do, you have to get to a point where you can't be like, Oh, losing is acceptable here. Well, it's going to keep building. I mean, you can't keep building. When you build a skyscraper, you got to stop at some point. You can't be like, okay, we're just going to keep building this uh, skyscraper until it like, like you can't, it has to end sometime. And you got to start thinking, okay, rebuild's over. Let's move forward. And the thing is the Canucks quote unquote rebuild. There's some significant pieces still coming that is going to keep the success going. Like you got Todd Colson coming up, you got Hogliner, you got Rathbone, you got, I mean, and the Canucks can Pod Coles in Pod Coles in the year like, after. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you got to get to a point where you're like, okay, we got, we're here. Let's start, you know, maintaining it rather than trying to get there. You have to have the, you know, in the Detroit maybe isn't a good example because they got away from it, but certainly the Chicago Blackhawks. And this year is a great example with Doc Kubelik, um, uh, uh, bulk fist on defense. You have to have these guys coming in, you have your core, and then you have to have guys that can rotate in and out that can come in and start contributing as your core continues to be at that level. And that, that's what you need to have. And again, we talked about it. Benning just did it opposite. He bought all the glue yeah. first without having the pieces. He's, he's kind of lucky actually that the pieces <laughs> he drafted fit in so well with the glue. Um, but he can't, he can't do that again. He can't go out and buy a bunch of glue pieces without having the core in place. Yeah. So, I mean, coming up this week, we'll, we'll start with the actual playoffs and, uh, we'll find out who we're going to face by the end of today. Well, they um, start on yeah. Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, gonna be so we probably need to do a show tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Aiden's like, oh my god! <laughs> no, 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 no! This is great. <laughs> I'm up for it. Great, I love it. Let's oh. go. No, I'm down. I'm down. All seriousness, I'm down. I can't wait to do a uh, a longer form one too. So we'll yeah, do, I agree. Let's do. Well, let, I mean, doing a deep dive on the series would be a good would be a good thing for the next episode. Yeah. Um, sometime. This coming week, we, I mean, this is going to be a pretty big announcement here is we're going to have Al Murdoch coming in as a guest, who's the Canucks PA announcer. It's a pretty exciting uh, prospect. That is very exciting. Yeah, well yeah. done on that, Matt. Well done. Yeah, so he's he's going to be on, uh, may not be, it probably won't be tomorrow's episode. I'm going to try. I'm going to ask him if he's able to come on tomorrow. Um, so, but it will be sometime uh, in the near future having him on the show, which is going to be really great ask him about uh what he's been doing in the pandemic and uh how he's dealing with not being able to announce the Canucks game so oh have you seen his uh Twitter work though where he does the custom yeah he's been doing good with that oh I love that yeah I'm actually <laughs> surprised they didn't you know they could have piped all this in with these 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 teams and done that right they actually could have got them their own PA announcers to do these during the games that's what I thought that they should have done but yeah, I agree with you it's I, I totally agree with you talk to him about yeah, yeah we'll, we'll definitely talk yeah. about that. So, and just so you guys know, technically, all these teams that played in the qualifiers, they did qualify for the playoffs. That's actually technically the NHL is saying this qualifying round is the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> so, so just so you know, they did make the playoffs. Um, but uh, the good news is, um, and this is the other thing we should we haven't talked about yet, but we should is we don't have a first round pick this year, boys. Uh, that belongs to the New Jersey Devils. Devils now, yeah. Which is which is not a bad thing because uh, you know I as great a draft as it is and, and everything. Next one, yeah, next one's just, great. <laughs> they're all great, but but J T Miller, I mean, you know, I I personally still believe it. It's too high a price to pay for him given the situation. Campaign was in. Having said that, this is still a win for Jim Benning in this trade. Oh, yes. 
and being in the city, like this is a win. And for anybody to sit there and say that, oh, it was a bad trade, it's not a bad trade. I no. just still think it's too high a price to pay, but it's not a bad trade. Who would have expected? No, who would have expected the production we got out of JC Miller? Like I, I thought he'd go into that second line there initially. First thoughts when from seeing the trade, I thought he'd be second line. I'll be like, oh, 40, 50 points. That's great. Whoa, was I wrong? Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I any either of us could have scored twenty goals with Patterson as our center. He's that. He's he's that. No, he's that good. I mean, it's That's just, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And, I could barely and, skate, but I'd sit in front of the net and yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Let him do. Just do your deeks. Do your deeks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So just uh, that was another that was another great conversation about. Uh, I mean, we could talk again hours on this on the you know the breakdown of the last series and coming up and we'll definitely be talking more in an episode tomorrow uh we'll have we'll have multiple episodes as we go uh through the playoffs here so of course it's great talking with you guys and and thanks for listening we're getting more listeners as we go but uh it's just great to be uh talking hockey with a couple great guys here yeah that's awesome can't wait go connects go 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 connects go yeah